All right, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody feel good? This great summer day that we have out here. You know, we've got, we've got hot weather sometimes. We've got thunderstorms sometimes. Hey, just want to throw out a big announcement for you guys, if you don't realize this. We are six months away from Christmas. Okay, well... We were a little quiet there for a little bit. So I just felt like, I mean, it really has nothing to do with my message this morning. I just felt like we needed a little bit of a, something to get excited about this morning. So we're six months from Christmas. So, so I hope everybody's doing well this morning. Yeah. All right. It's always nice when you have people screaming from behind you. So this morning, man, we're going to dig back into Matthew 5. We, we started this a couple of weeks ago, and so we're going to dig back into the Sermon on the Mount um, this morning. But first of all, I just want to give a big thanks uh, to Tim, who was with us here last Last week, uh, I just wanted to thank him for uh, being with us and, and sharing a message. It's just incredible to have him uh, here with us at our church. Another shout out I want to give is to our fearless leader, Jernigan Schwint. Jernigan's actually not with us um, this morning. Jernigan's actually off on his retreat. He's, he takes some time um, every year and he gets away and he prays and, and really connects with what the next uh, few weeks and years of Discovered Church look like. And so I just really ask that um, as he's away and he's praying over what um, the church is going to look like and where we're going, that you'd just really be purposeful in prayer for him um, this week. If, if you could just mention him by name and, and just hope that the Spirit really brings clarity and, and God really brings direction to him, that, that would be incredible. So, so I know, Jern, I know you're out there somewhere. Um, I know you're watching, man. I just uh, want to say we love you. We can't wait to see you next week. And so just uh, be lifting him up um, in prayers for, uh, for this week as, as he gets away. Now, if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Chris Rasmussen. I am one of the pastors here on staff at the church. And, and like I said, we're going to resume in our sermon series that we started a couple weeks ago called The Kingdom Manifesto. And so we're going to jump back into the, the Sermon of the Mount, and, and we're going to proceed a little bit further into the, into the Sermon of the Mount that Jesus taught that, that morning or that day. Now, uh, as a refresher, I just want to make sure that we're all caught up to speed. A couple weeks ago, Jernigan actually talked about the preamble to the, to the Kingdom Manifesto, and, and he talked about these, these kingdom character traits that we read as the Beatitudes in the Bible. And, and so as Jesus first sat down to teach on that day, he talked about these character traits that we live by and we abide by as we begin to follow Jesus. And so as Jernigan talked about, he said blessed. He said this word blessed meant happy. And so when we read the Beatitudes, it means happy is the person who does this. And then Jesus would put that character trait in there, and then he would talk about the consequence or the result of that blessing. And now, you know, Jernigan then went on to explain that we know that the world, when you start living this way, the world is actually going to respond with opposition or, or the, the Bible actually said persecution as you begin to live like and live for Jesus. And so when we start living out these kingdom character traits, these beatitudes, it's not whether or not you might face an opposition or persecution from the world, but it's promised right there. Jesus actually talks about it in, in verses 10 through 12. And so we should not be, um, we should not be um, 
uh, surprised when it comes across. It's, it's expected, it's actually promised. And in uh, John 15, Jesus actually tells us that the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And so I'm sure many of us, as we've lived out our faith, we've faced some kind of a pushback or persecution, discrimination. It, it all looks different, but it's there nonetheless. And so now we move into this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is actually going to tell us how, how we are to faithfully live much differently in this world. And so he talks about this opposition, but then he's actually calling us to be this faithful witness that we don't respond with, with a hate or, or aggression. We don't, we don't respond with this verbal onslaught or, or this attack of the people, but we respond by being a faithful witness and we respond by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that he died for our sins. And so while we'll hate the condition of the world, we actually love people enough that we want to share Jesus with them in a very positive aspect. And so he's actually calling his, his witnesses to, um, to witness to him through the conduct of their lives. And so our main point this morning here is that Jesus calls us to faithfully witness to his transforming power by impacting and influencing a decaying and dark world. So Jesus calls us to faithfully witness to his transforming power by impacting and influencing a decaying and dark world. Now, what does this interaction look like? What does this relationship look like? Because unfortunately, many times, instead of the church influencing the world, we see that the world is actually influencing the church. And so way too many times in our context, we see that these cultural and societal norms have, have actually infiltrated the church and it's changed our, our policies and our politics and it, it actually contradicts and even conflicts with who scripture is actually calling us to be. And so as a result, we find people where we meld the biblical values with biblical, uh, biblical values with the culture. And so this is an aspect of compromise. You know, we give a little bit of ground here and there. We, we give on a point here and there. And we do it all for the goal of maintaining a peace and relevance with the world. Or even worse yet, we, we find where we're tempted to withdraw completely from the world. We, we live in this own protective community that we call our own little bubble. And many times we create bubbles within the bubbles. And, and so this is a way of, of getting away. We say that the world is so mentally broke, or it's so broken and corrupt that we're actually going to stick to ourselves and we're going to stay away and we're going to stay to the people that we know that are comfortable and where it's safe and is protected. But I want to reemphasize this morning this point that, that Jesus is calling us to be a faithful witness to his transforming power by impacting and influencing a decaying and a dark world. See, we never should compromise the truth of Scripture, and we never isolate from the world because doing so is actually one of the most unloving things that we can do to this world. Because if we withdraw or we compromise, it actually shows an, an apathy for the souls of people that we come in contact with, and this will never work if we're going to faithfully witness for him. 
And so I'm going to pose this question to you right now, and I want you to ponder it quickly. This question is, are you faithfully living out the call to be an active witness for Jesus? Are you faithfully living out the call to be an active witness for Jesus? Because we're going we're gonna to interact with the world. It's going to happen. We will have opportunity either to impact and influence people or to be impacted and influenced by people. This interaction is going to come. And so Jesus has already told us here in the Sermon on the Mount what the world's going to do. It's going it's to face us with opposition. It's going to face persecution. It's revile here in, in the verses 10 through 11. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes. Blessed are you when others revile you. They persecute you. They utter all kinds of evil against you. And so Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about these kingdom character traits that we're supposed to live by. And then he talks about how the world is going to uh, face with opposition and they're going to they're push back against that. But now we're going into that section where he's actually calling us to be a faithful witness amongst this world. And so our, our message this morning is going to come out of Matthew 5, 13 through 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, feel free to turn to Matthew 5 if you've got it electronically, Matthew 5, 13 through 15, or, or we'll put the words um, behind me on the screen. So we'll start at Matthew 5, 13. And the Bible says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus here is using these two telling metaphors to explain how we impact and how we influence the world. We are to be salt of the earth. We are to be light of the world. And so we impact people as salt. And so to impact someone means to come in contact with something and have an effect on someone or something. So we impact the earth as salt. And we are to influence people as light. And to influence means that we affect the character, the development, the behavior of someone or something. It's, it's guiding them in a direction. So we are to influence the world as light. And these are two very common elements in our world, but they're, they're vital and they're really needed. And so what Jesus is saying here is that some very common things can have an amazing impact in his name. Therefore, we function for the eternal benefit of the world. And so we should see the world as God sees it, where he hates the rebellion to God, but he loves it enough that he wants us to be his active witness.
And we have to be perfectly honest, very, very honest here this morning that, that the world is, is not getting any better. And right here in, in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13, it actually says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so we've already talked about this, that we know that if we choose to live this godly life, that, that we'll be persecuted. We see it throughout scripture. But the harsh message, harsh message here is that the world is actually bad and it's getting worse. That people are sinful and they're getting worse. That the world is deceiving and being deceived. Our morals, our ethics, our laws, our regulations, our media, our worldview, they're all sliding down this very dangerous slope, and it, and it doesn't appear to be slowing down anytime soon. And so you'd really be hard-pressed to go out and find anybody who's going to champion the cause that our world is actually on an uptick, that the world is actually getting better, because the world is decayed, and it's decaying. And the world is dark and is darkening. But as long as we're on this earth, we actually run towards that call to be a faithful witness in a decaying and darkening world. And so I asked you this question a few minutes ago. I asked you to ponder, and it was real quick, I know. So, so maybe you got through like the first half of it. But, but we're going to expand upon this question. Um, are you faithfully living out the call to be an active witness of Jesus? And I want to expand on it, and I want to ask this. Does our life impact people as salt of the earth? Does our life influence people as light of the world? Because Jesus is telling us here that, that you are salt and you are light. And when you read the original text, this, this you is very emphatic. It's a, it's a definitive and it's a clear expression of calling. What he's saying is you are salt. You are light. There's no alternative. It's a, it's a calling and he's emphatic about it. This is how we are to witness in this world. And so let's unpack first, what does it mean to be salt of the earth? As salt of the earth, we are an impactful preserver. As salt of the earth, we are an impactful preserver. Now, salt is one of the most common things that, that we'll find in this world. I'm, I'm guessing everybody has salt in their houses. Um, you go to restaurants and you see salt on the tables. If you cook, um, so I'm told, I'm not, I, I don't cook anything myself, but I'm told that salt is actually in recipes, is what I hear anyway. When you get takeout food and you get that silverware package, salt in there, salt is literally everywhere that we turn. And salt has many, many uses in this world. And, and so a lot of these uses are actually applied to this text. First of all, salt can, can represent an aspect of purity or, or cleanliness. Um, did you know that salt can be used as a laundry detergent? You can actually place salt in the washer and it helps remove stains and, and helps with discoloration and it kills bacteria and kills odors. Once again, this is all what I, what I hear because I don't do laundry either. But salt, when you see it in nature, it actually glistens against the dark of the earth. So, so salt can represent a purity or, or a cleanliness. Two, salt is a seasoning. It adds flavor. 
And so whatever salt is actually applied to, it'll impact, it'll impart its taste. Even as small as it is, it'll impart its taste in whatever it's mixed with. So it seasons. It changes the taste of something. It, en- it enhances something. Now, third, salt can be used in a healing process. It can be used to heal and, and cleanse a wound. Um, you can use a salt water flush to, to flush out an infection. Is there anybody here who in the past has ever gargled salt water for a sore throat? Or have you ever had to use one of those salt water rinses to flush out like your sinuses or anything? Man, it's not pleasant, is it? And it stings. But that's the healing process. And so, so salt can help with the healing process. And, and we can even say it's the aspect of exposing and healing our sin. Now, fourth, salt creates a thirst. If you've ever eaten anything salty, you instantly start craving water or, or craving fluids. And so someone might actually say, as salt of the earth, are, are you making people thirsty for Jesus? You know, it's not our job to satisfy that thirst. It's our job to make people crave the living water of Jesus. Now, there's a fifth use. And and the more I was reading and studying this and and thinking about the context of of the Sermon on the Mount in that time, that this is the one I I really think that, that Jesus was speaking to when he talks about salt of the earth and his salt as a preservative, And so what do I mean by a preservative? A preservative is something that is applied to something to slow down the process of decay and spoiling. And so we know it doesn't take a scientist to realize that in the first century, there was no such thing as the refrigerator or the freezer. You know, you didn't go out at night and bring home your leftovers and throw them in the fridge for tomorrow's lunch. That's not how it worked. Um, Food, especially fish and meat, which were staples to their diet, would spoil and become rotten and unhealthy if it wasn't treated properly. And so what Jesus is saying here is where there's decay, we need salt. Because salt actually will slow down the decaying process but it has to be placed on the material. It has to be applied to the material. It has to be rubbed into the material like you would season meat. It's got to be rubbed into the material. It's got to be part of the material to be effective. So imagine what this world would be like without the impact of Jesus. This world would be even more rotten with sin and and corruption. And while it may appear healthy on the outside, you'd only have to take one bite of it to realize that it, was, it tasted like a decaying flesh and it was utterly unconsumable. It would be really nothing more than just a rotten carcass of meat. But you can't blame the meat for decaying because it doesn't know any better. The meat is going to break down. It's going to decay because that's what it does. So the question is not, why is it decaying? The question is, is where is the salt? Because our errant thinking is that, that since the world's in decay, that we should just disassociate from it, that, that we should stay away from it as much as possible. But to be effective as salt of the earth, we have to be applied to the world because salt is no good if it's left in the shaker. In this church, 
is really just a giant shaker of salt. And so what good is it if the church exists only for the confines of its own walls? How impactful can salt be if it's never used? How can we impact the world if we remain within our bubble? And so consider our own bodies for, for wants. What, what happens if we take too much salt in? We, we retain water and we, we bloat and we become unhealthy and we have high blood pressure, hypertension. And so withholding salt within our bodies is not healthy for us. Nor is it healthy if we keep the salt of the earth within the walls of the church. And there's churches out here that operate like that, man. They, they're there for the service of the people inside the walls. But that's not what God ever intended. What God intended was, it was to pick up this salt shaker and shake it throughout the community, to shake it throughout the city, to shake it throughout the nation, and to pick up this salt shaker and shake it throughout the world. You know, consider Love KC that we just had a couple weeks ago. On one day, we had 150 people from this church serve on 10 different projects. And leading up to that day, we actually had a couple other small groups who did other service, um, service projects throughout the Northland. So imagine the impact on that one day when God picked up the salt shaker of Discover Church and he shook it over Kansas City. Imagine what happened on that one day. And now imagine what would happen if we lived with that intent with every aspect of our lives and every day of our lives. Because without our witness, the world will continue to rot and it'll rot quickly. And the spiritual and moral decay will continue at a rapid pace. And here's the thing that should break all of our hearts. It'll take a lot of people to hell with it. And we're not going to stand for that as a witness. And so this emphatic you, you must be applied to this world. You must be rubbed in like a seasoning. You must show up at work. You show up at your home. You show up everywhere that God places you. You're present, you're active, and you're distinct because people's lives are depending on it. And now as he talks about the, the salt of the world, he, he talks about this, this great warning. He said um, in verse 13, he, he tells us to guard against losing our taste or our saltiness. So in 13, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So what does it mean to lose our taste or, or lose our saltiness? Can, can salt really lose its saltiness? So we're going to have a, a quick chemistry lesson here. Salt is, is what they call a stable compound. It's sodium chloride. It's sodium and chlorine, and they, they put it together, and the two elements actually work really to, well together. They, they complete each other. They, they have this energy bond that can only be changed through a chemical reaction. And I promise you that's the end of the chemistry lesson that you'll ever get from me, sermon or not. 
So salt doesn't necessarily lose its taste, but it loses its integrity if it's mixed with unhealthy elements. If it's not pure because it's been exposed to the wrong conditions, it actually becomes useless and may even become deadly. And so at this time that, that Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, the, the people that were listening, they, they knew this because it was a, uh, salt was a common element that was harvested in, in, in Israel, and it was harvested from marshes, and it was harvested from the Dead Sea. And there was no great filtration system, so they knew that if salt had too much sand in it, or too much dirt, or other chemicals, or let's call them impuri- impurities, it was actually useless. And, and they knew this. They, they knew that salt that was harvested from a local source, that if it wasn't filtered well, it actually was useless. It, it was so tainted, it had no impact anymore. And if it was bad enough, it would actually be deadly. So impure salt, if it was placed on their fields, if it was thrown out in the fields, it would actually kill all of their crops. And so that's why he's saying here is that it's so bad that it's only good to be thrown out on the road and trampled under people's feet. And so this is what you get when we mix the biblical truths and values with cultural norms and societal differences. We lose the saltiness. The impurities of the world will actually taint the effectiveness of the salt of the earth. And so this Greek word, there's only one word here that they use that, that, um, that says has lost its taste. And that word is morano. Morano, it's, it's one word. And it says has lost its taste. And the word is used in several places in the New Testament. In Luke 14, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1, it's used throughout. And it actually means to make foolish or to become like a fool or show foolishness. And so what, what Jesus is concluding here is that if you lose your taste, you lose your saltiness, you've become a fool because you've lost your impact. You've lost your impact on this world through either corruption or conforming to the world, but the impact has been diminished. So don't be a fool by losing your saltiness. So imagine with me for a second, you go to your favorite restaurant and you order French fries. Anybody out here a big French fry fan? Everybody eats French fries. Nobody raised their hands and I know every single one of you eat French fries. So you're all with me, just not with your hands raised. So imagine you get these French fries and all French fries are always salted. And you grab that French fry, whether you're at a restaurant or you drive through the drive-thru and the first bite you taste, you taste the salt, but it's mixed with sand. Now, how is that going to change your experience? The salt is still there, but the grit of the sand comes with it, and it changes your whole experience. And so the chances of you actually returning to that place, knowing that was your experience, is probably pretty slim. Because it's going to leave an impression on you. And it's going to be an impression of a food that you just don't want anymore because the salt and the sand was actually mixed together. And so we must be on guard that we don't lose our taste. Be on guard that we don't lose our saltiness. 
Now, are we sinful? Of course we're sinful. We know that. We, we carry sin with us every day of our lives. But this is really talking about actively conforming and willingly engaging in sinful activities to the fact that our, we've diminished the impact of our witness. So I would just really encourage you that, that don't be swayed by the world. Don't, don't let sin interrupt your life and destruct, you, and, and destruct your witness, your example, your reputation, your deeds, your evangelism, because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're here to impact the world as a preserver, not to be impacted by the world to where we have lost our saltiness. Because people are watching. They're watching every aspect of your lives. They're watching every aspect of all of our lives. And they make judgment calls, whether it's good or bad. And they will make responses based on those, uh, those perceptions. So be salt to the earth that is clearly in decay. Be salt to help slow the process of the deterioration that's out there. Because we're present in the world. We're applied to the world. We're rubbed into the world all for the sake of Jesus. And so just as salt is this impactful preserver we can be as well. Now, there's a second thing that he talks about, and he says that we're light of the world. And as light of the world, we are influential beacons. As light of the world, we are an influential beacon. So light is often used in Scripture to symbolize truth, knowledge, hope, joy, righteousness, even maybe the presence of, of God you know, Jesus declares himself in, in John 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Whomever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. So he's telling us that he's light of the world, but right now he's actually in a stunning declaration. He's, he's turning to his disciples. He's turning to the people that are there at the Sermon on the Mount. And he's actually looking to each one of us and he's applying this same exact image to us. He's saying, you are this external presence that is leading people and guiding people down the path towards Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are a beacon of hope for people. Man, have you ever really been in the darkness of nature? Like where you're away from the city, maybe you're out camping, like you're in the darkness of nature, like so much that like you, you can't even see the hand in front of your face. Has anybody been there? Like I remember we, when we lived in Haiti, I'll tell you what, Haiti is crazy dark, like crazy dark. Like you're sitting there and there's times you can't even see people walk in front of you. It's crazy, crazy dark. I'd never experienced darkness like that ever. And, and of course, in Haiti, there's very limited electricity. So if we had rolling blackouts, it was even darker yet. I mean, it was dark. But even in a world of darkness, the most faint spark can be seen. Because darkness does not overcome light. Light actually overcomes the darkness. So our light can be and it will be seen in a dark world, even in the darkest of locations. So where there is darkness, the world needs light. 
And this world is, is so full of darkness. There's immorality, there's unbelief, there's sin, there's corruption, there's pain, violence, death. And the tragedy is that some people actually prefer it. They prefer this darkness that they live in despite the death that comes with it. But the greater tragedy is those people who don't even realize the darkness that they're sitting in until you expose them to the light of Jesus. And so they sit there, and so we have this call to, to bring the light of Jesus to the world. And so as the light of Jesus gets closer and closer, and it gets brighter and brighter, then darkness is revealed, and it's, and it's removed, and it's eliminated. And so we are commanded here to be light of the world. And so in Philippians 2.15, it actually states that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Man, this is just an amazing privilege that we have. It's an amazing responsibility that we have to be light of the world. And so Jesus talks here about, about two lights in scripture. He talks about the city on the hill and he talks about the, the lamp in the house. And, and so as a city, we shine collectively, guiding travelers through the weary of dark. You know, in the first century or, or even in, in all ancient times, cities were actually built a lot on hills. They were built in, in uh, Israel on hills for a couple reasons. One was they could collect all the breezes off the sea and it would cool it down. Also, when cities were built up on hills, they were easier to defend if they were attacked by enemies. But also, when you built a city on a hill, it could be seen by people. And so during the day, it would reflect the sun. But at night, the collective source of light could be seen from a long ways away. And so a traveler in the dark, it was a beacon of hope of a place of safe and comfort down the road. And so as a lamp, we shine individually. We, we shine in the environment where we've been placed. And you think that a single lamp can only emit just a small little light compared to a city. But scripture tells us that it actually can fill the house and it can shine on everybody who's there. And so in other words, we, we shine our lights at work and at, at home in our social circles and in, in the gyms that we go to at our, our kids' social activities. In every environment that we are placed, we shine our light. Because if the alternative is darkness, the light will overcome even what you think is a little bit of life light. And we do that by living a holy life and presenting a bold witness for Jesus. And so now, whether or not it's a, a city on a hill or a lamp in the house, we reflect the light of Jesus. Because I don't want you to hear me wrong here. I'm not, I'm not telling you that we are the source of light. We, we are not the source of light here. We just reflect the light of Jesus. He has enlightened us so that we can turn and enlighten the world. And so we reflect his light for his glory. And so one of the most powerful descriptions that I've, I've ever heard about this is, is how we see the relationship of the moon and the sun in our own sky. 
See, the moon of itself that we see at night, the moon does not generate light. And if it wasn't for the sun, we probably would not see the moon in the sky at all. But it's the impact of the sun shining on the moon and the moon reflecting the light at night. That's why it's visible in the dark. And that's why we can see it at night. It's only a beacon or a reflection of light from the true source, which is the sun. Because if the, sun, if the moon generated its own light, then we would follow the sun during the day and we would look to the source of the moon at night. And that's what I'm talking about here, that, that we're not the source. Just like the moon is reflecting the sun, we are reflecting the light of Jesus. If it was our source, then, then people would put their hope in us. They would turn to us for salvation. They would, they would look to us as, as something to, to hang their hat on. And that's, that's not what we're, we're talking about here. That's not how it works. We are placed here, just as the moon reflects the sun, we are placed here to reflect Jesus and to point people towards him. And so just as Jesus talks to his disciples about not losing their saltiness, we're, we're told not to conceal our light or, or to hide it under a basket. It's, a city cannot be hidden. A lamp is not put under a basket. And so we cannot be a beacon of hope if we hide from the world. We cannot be an influential witness if we don't share our testimonies. We cannot hide away. We cannot keep to ourselves. We cannot conceal the light that we have. People are saved not to be hidden under baskets. People are saved to be used for his glory. And so as this influential beacon of light, it shines through our good deeds. In verse 16 on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16, he says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. These are the good deeds that we do as a result of his work in us. It's what he does through us. It's everything that we are and it's everything that we do. It's, it's living holy. It's proclaiming the gospel message. It's, it's how we serve people. It's how we handle trials and stresses and hardships. It's bringing peace and joy when the world says that we should react with anger and frustration. It's being blessed as we talk about in the Beatitudes in verses three through 10. It's being blessed, it's being happy as we reflect the glory of God. And so as salt and light, Jesus calls us to faithfully witness to his transforming power by impacting and influencing a decaying in a dark world. And so there's really two key aspects of, of application here this morning. And the first one is that there is a distinct difference between a faithful witness and the world. And we must accept this responsibility that this distinction places on us. The faithful witness, we're, we're distinct in these character traits that Jernigan talked about a few weeks ago. We're distinct in these kingdom characteristic traits, these, these beatitudes, and they're very countercultural in, in, in many, many ways. But many times we become so indistinguishable from the world 
that we actually minimize our personal witness and the impact and the influence that we can have. And Jesus is calling us to to something different, just as as different as, as salt is from decay and just as different as light is from darkness, if we try to minimize those differences or, or even eliminate them, we don't serve God. We're not serving the world. At that point, we're really just serving ourselves. We're serving our own agenda. And we know that, that persecution, opposition, revile will come. We, we've been promised this. Jesus tells us this right before this, but it doesn't relinquish us from the task that we've been given. And so don't lose sight of Jesus's call for a faithful witness because we're here to build a kingdom of Christ followers. That's what we're here to do. And we're not going to settle back in this lazy boy of comfort, just riding out the storm while all the action is being played out on the field. We are called to serve and witness We're called to impact and influence. Where there is decay, we need salt, salt of the earth. And where there is darkness, we need light, light of the world. And second of all, this calling is a twofold command. We are salt of the earth and light of the world. It's not a choice of one or the other. These work in tandem, not separately. We bring salt to decay and we bring light to the dark. See, one is pushing back on the deterioration. One is pushing back on the decay. One is pushing back on what the world is turning itself into where the other one is bringing a beacon of hope and it's a presentation of the gospel message of salvation, of eternity, and of heaven. One battle is not bigger than the other. We're going to fight this war on both fronts. So we never exaggerate one at the expense of another. One is not substituted for the other. This world is decaying. This world is is darkening and it needs both. And so we bring our witness as salt of the earth and as light of the world. And and God, in Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's calling us to this responsibility. And that alone should be our motivation to act every day of of our lives. Because this world is decaying and we are the impactful preserver as salt. And this world is dark. And we are the influential beacons of light. See, Jesus lived. He died on that cross. And he rose victoriously three days later to save us from our sins. And so our response is to faithfully witness to his transforming power by impacting and influencing a decaying in a dark world. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast.
Thanks for listening.